0: You are listening to the First Baptist Church Broken Arrow podcast. To learn more about the church, visit us at fbcba.org. Today's sermon comes from our pastor, Dr. Matt Brooks. Welcome on to church you would please open your Bibles and me to the book of John this morning, John chapter 3. John chapter 3. My name is Matt Brooks. I'm the senior pastor here at First Baptist Church of Broken Arrow. And this is, if you're visiting with us, a unique Sunday in the life of our church. This is week five of a five-week series, but it is also Commitment Sunday as we celebrate what God is doing in and through us in ministry, in missions, and our future. So we have been on this five-week adventure to really prepare us for the next two years of church life. And so that is why, as we look to the scriptures and we look to the lord then we must ask ourselves god give us a greater purpose and so we talked about as we started off this series that before god ever does wants to do something greater through us he's got to do first of something greater in us so god give us a greater sense of prayer as we pray toward you that then led to week 2 when we talked of devotion that in order to live a life for the lord and his glory we must give a life to the Lord for his glory. So what is it that God is asking you to do in ministry and missions in future that you can give to God and have a greater devotion? We then, week three, talked about our greater purpose, that God is up to something greater, that there is a reason why we are here to bring people to Jesus. So few people realize their purpose in life. May it not be said of us in this season. We are here to bring people, people to Jesus. And we talked about last week how we're going to do that through ministry and missions as we ask and beg God for a greater impact. Perhaps today is a commitment of kind of ministries or missions that God has been putting in your heart, not just in regard to future. But today I want to talk to you about how to have a greater legacy. I want to talk to you about how to have an endearing impact on those who outlive you. We are here for just a short amount of time. So how How do we want to be remembered? You see, legacies just don't happen. You have to be intentional. You have to prioritize what matters most. If we're honest, if we're not careful, we'll think too much about the here and now and then what will last for forever. What do you want to be known for? What do you want to be remembered? You see, legacy is not only leaving something for people, but leaving something in people. And today I want to share with you an axiom in the New Testament. It is given by one of the greatest servants of Christ the world has ever known, a man by the name of John the Baptist. And I want to teach us how we can all live for Christ, leave a legacy. Jesus himself said of John the Baptist that he was the greatest man to ever live. Our king in Matthew eleven eleven said of John the Baptist, Truly I say to you among those born of a woman, there is risen no one greater than John the Baptist. Now let that set for just a minute. No one greater, Jesus says. Not Adam, not Noah, not Abraham, not Isaac, not Jacob, not David, none of the disciples, no one greater than this man. Why? Because John the Baptist prioritized as a way of life to bring people to Jesus. In fact, the Gospels remind us of this. As an order and preacher of baptism and repentance, there was no equal. Massive crowds in the Gospels, the Bible tells us, were not coming to Jesus at first. They were coming to John the Baptist. Though his physical appearance was this kind of unique wardrobe, this kind of spontaneous combustion of this leather belt and this camel's hair. He had this wild, crazy diet of locusts and honey. But yet the Bible tells us in Matthew 3, verse 4, there was no prophet greater than this man. The astonishing thing is he never performed one miracle, not one. Yet it was evident that the power of God was upon him. In fact, historically, the Bible tells us that John the Baptist's ministry overlapped Jesus' ministry by about six months, according to John chapter one, verses 19 through 28. It would be John the Baptist of all people who had the distinguishing privilege of baptizing Jesus Christ in Matthew chapter 3, verses 13 and 16. And the Bible says the heavens opened up and the Spirit of God descended upon Christ like a dove, coronating him as who he was, the King of all kings. And John the Baptist was right there. This man would have such an impact on those around them that after his tragic death in Matthew chapter 11, even after the ascension of Christ in the early book of Acts, the Bible tells us in Acts chapter 18, verses 24 and 26, that John the Baptist still had disciples following him and his teaching. How do we live for Christ and leave a legacy? Well, the Bible's going to show us in John chapter 3. Now, this chapter is one of the most stunning chapters in the entire New Testament. Its first 21 verses consist here of this dialogue between Jesus and a prominent man named Nicodemus. Now, Nicodemus was an incredible teacher in his own right. He was by far one of the most popular teachers in all of Asia Minor. And the Bible says that he comes to Jesus at night and says, Good teacher, what must I do to have eternal life? And Jesus begins to tell him some of the most profound content the world has ever known. He says, Nicodemus, you must be born again. That you must be radically transformed. Not just part of you, but all of you. So much so that as if before you met me, you never existed. You must be born again. Not on the outside, but on the inside. And Nicodemus, a very wise man, tells Jesus, how can this be? And then Jesus begins to tell him that this has been the plan of God from the beginning. This was an addendum to the gospel, that this was the good news, that this was the very plan of God for all who call upon him. He even tells Nicodemus in verse 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. It is from this overflow of Nicodemus and his passive rejection that you have here the real deal. You want to live for Christ, leave a legacy? This is what it looks like. And John, the apostle, in writing this book, sets the stage by reminding us as Jesus and his followers transition now to a Judean countryside, that though Jesus was preaching and his disciples were baptizing, crowds began to gather around Jesus at an astonishing rate. John, this writer, transitions then from the gospel message of Jesus to now the gospel ministry for Jesus. And the Bible just says in verses 25 and 26 of John chapter 3 that a Jew came to them. Now this is more than likely not a Christ follower. This man, and he was having a discussion with the disciples of John the Baptist over purification. How is one made righteous? How am I truly clean, upright before the Lord? Oh, and one other thing, why is all of these people now going to this carpenter from Nazareth and leaving you? And so John the Baptist's disciples concerned come to John the Baptist and right in the midst of his response to them, we're going to give our lives to this morning in verses 28 and 30. And John the Baptist tells his disciples, you yourselves bear witness that I said I'm not the Christ. But I've been sent before him. For the one who has the bride is the bridegroom. But the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. For he must increase and I must decrease. What do you want to be remembered? How do you want others to remember you? If you want to live for Christ and leave a legacy, you must be intentional about passing down your values to those around you. All that really lasts is what you pass on to others. So what is it that you're passing on to those around you? I'm just so incredibly grateful to the Lord, the older and older I get. He reminds me of this truth, that all that really lasts is what you pass on to others. And I'm just a benefactor of those who have passed on to me. For me and my family, it's, it's my mom, who's just this incredible, fervent prayer warrior, who just, you know, throughout my entire life, either via text or phone calls, or just every time she's around me, I'm praying for you, I love you. In fact, I remember multiple times growing up, being awakened in the middle of the night by either one or both of my parents praying over me. It's a Tremendously startling thing as a kid. Uh, you know, who is mom? Who? But now as I grow older, I find myself doing the same with my kids. What a legacy of prayer and faith. For my household, it's my dad, who's you know, my best friend in life growing up. And my dad more than likely accepted Christ when he was a teenager in student ministry. But God really began to get a hold of him when he was in college. As he was going to the, the University of Oklahoma, he was a young postal worker. He had a friend who said, you know what? Hey, you like engaging dialogue. You're very analytical in your thinking. Listen to this radio station at this specific time, and we'll begin to discuss it. And so we did, and on this radio station, he found these incredible men of God expounding upon the word of God. And one preacher was in one day, as my dad was going throughout his route, was in John chapter 11, where Jesus heals Lazarus from the dead. He'd been dead for days, and Jesus raises him from the dead. And instead of the crowds immediately accepting him, giving their lives totally to them, overwhelmingly, a majority of them rejected him. So much so that the Bible says in verses 42 and following in John chapter 11, that the religious leaders gathered among themselves to see in verse 47 what they would do with such a man. And the preacher said, you know, that's a good question. That's a question each of us must ask of ourselves. What do you do with Jesus? You can reject him, you can ignore him, or you can accept him. And my dad at a stop sign in downtown Oklahoma City accepted and committed his life to Christ. Years later, God would give me to my parents. And can I tell you, there's never been a second in my life where I didn't know my dad as this man who was all in for Christ. Changed my life. What a legacy. For Brynn and her family, it's a legacy of hard work and faith and generosity. Her mom and dad are the hardest working, most generous people I've ever met in my life. I have seen them time and time again, selflessly and sacrificially give over and above what was ever even remotely expected and how God has blessed them. What a legacy we have. What are you passing on to others? How do you want to be remembered by it? I think one of the greatest blessings of this greater still endeavor is not just us asking the Lord, you know, what, what just can we do, you know, just in our own work and in our own glory? No, what can we do for your glory? What is our best? And we're trusting you with the rest. And how God is working in our preschool and kids and students. You just heard briefly of some of these testimonies of, of literal kids putting together monthly budgets of not only how they can work, but give to extend the greater work of the Lord. We had a young married couple in our church a couple of weeks ago. We were talking about devotion and about just this emphasis of to the Lord. If it's for the Lord, it must be to the Lord. And God really, through his word, began to grab a hold of their hearts. So much so that they began to discuss among each other, you know what? We're we just we're not living generously. We're, we're living about ourselves. We're safe and predictable for the most part. And, you know, they never grew up in a church that expected anything else from them. They never grew up in a church that had said, "Lord, we exist not for ourselves, but for Him. Jesus above all else." And then have seen how God has blessed that, how God has honored that, sustained that for His glory. And so they, the next Sunday, sacrificially gave for the first time in their marriage. No one knew besides them and the Lord. No one. The next day she was called into her supervisor's office and he said, you know what, I want to tell you that your work has been exemplary. That you are doing over and above whatever it is we ask of you. And you know what, we've met as an executive team and we are giving you a raise as a result of that sacrifice and that faithful service. And wouldn't you know it, that the exact amount that they gave on that Sunday was the exact amount the raise was for. I mean, how in the world can you explain this? But no, no. Those who know the Lord. Those who have seen God do abundantly more. Those who have seen God be faithful. To those who have trusted him know better. And that's exactly what John the Baptist is doing right here. He's reminding his disciples: don't you understand? This is what we're here for. You see, John knew who he was, and more importantly, who he was not. We're not the savior, it's not about us, Jesus is. We're not the answers to the world's problems, Jesus is. We're not the center and end of life, Jesus is. We're not the solution to suffering and emptiness and fulfillment, Jesus is. He truly treasured Jesus over everything. I realize times are tough. I realize that this season is tumultuous. I realize many of us just kind of wake up every day like, really? But can I tell you, we're not going to blink. Can I tell you, we're going to stand firm. Can I tell you that we're going to be people of faith. Can I tell you that we're going to be people that will do whatever it takes to get the gospel in this hill and off this hill. Because that's why we've always been our best. I refuse to lead you in any other way. I refuse to allow us to be distracted by anything else that God has for us besides his best. Since 1904, we've been gathered as a people and we've always said that we will hold tightly to Jesus Christ more than anything else. And God, for whatever but sheer grace has had his hand upon us, It's worked mightily to sustain us, miracle after miracle, decade after decade, generation from generation. This is exactly what John the Baptist is telling his disciples. Look at verse 28. For I have been sent before him you see this response? So you have here the audacity of John the Baptist's disciples coming to John because more people are going to Jesus than them. And then John clearly and graciously tells them, this is what we're here for, men. This is what we've been saved to be. To send people to him. This word send here, underline it, circle it in your Bible. It means, are you ready for this? Apostello. To send with purpose. John frames this in a perfect tense, meaning it was a one-time event with ongoing results. John is resolved in his heart. He knew his purpose, thus was fulfilling the ultimate purpose for his life. He was to be a forerunner to the Messiah. He was to be a light that would point to the light of the world in accordance to God's plan. And I tell you, there's no sweeter point in life I mean, there are so many of us that we don't know our purpose or we forget our purpose and we get distracted from our purpose. May it not be said of us. We're here to bring people to Jesus. We are here to point people to the one who's the way, the truth, and the life. This is who we are. You see, forerunners in the Bible would always go before the king And announce to all the people, prepare yourself for the king is coming. And that's who we are. We're forerunners of the king who's going to come for his glory. Can I tell you about four or five days a week I get to see this in my own household? My wife grew up on a farm in northern Oklahoma, which means by consequence that she makes almost everything in our house by scratch. And there's a reason why we've just embraced this generosity and give it away as a way of life. Because if not, I would be like 400 pounds if I was eating all of her brownies and cookies and all this other stuff. And so I don't know about you and your household, but we kind of, you know, we theme days of the week for different things. And it just kind of helps with just keeping people on track. So for us, we have Taco Tuesday at our house. It's just a way of life. And so this past Tuesday, Bryn made her famous homemade green chili enchiladas, her original enchiladas, Her homemade guacamole and homemade salsa all in one night. My two-year-old was so excited. She was like throwing chips from the table. Come on, mama, bring it. We're ready. Dinner is ready. Uh, Brynn asked me to stop, but I told her, wait a minute. Is is Aubrey throwing with her right hand or her left hand? Because if it's her right hand, but, but if it's her left hand, hey, throw a couple more chips. Let's see that arm, right? And so when we sat down and gave thanks to the Lord, Bryn reminded us, oh, and by the way, by dessert, I'm making my homemade blonde brownies as well and a worship service broke out. <laughs> Kids, behold your queen. And that's what John's doing. He is telling his disciples their most important lesson in following him is actually to leave him that in order to maximize your ministry, in order to fulfill this purpose, it begins with the end of you. And you saying, here I am, I will give my best, and I will trust you with the rest. He released everything for Jesus. Can I tell you that in John's following, though he was the most prominent teacher of the day, though he was the most popular figure in all of this region, following Jesus would cost John the Baptist his notoriety, his popularity, even his earthly security. Read Matthew 11, verses 1 through 6. This ends tragically, but yet momentarily, for John the Baptist. Yet here he is, in the highest height of his popularity, in the greatest success of his occupation, in literally the most prominent season of his life, telling his disciples he must increase, but I must decrease. He refused to allow his disciples to be distracted by any other thing. John realized he couldn't control the uncontrollable. That it wasn't God's will for his life to own it all, have it all, because he deserved it all. No. John said it's Jesus who owns it all. It's Jesus who has it all. It's Jesus who deserves it all. We are just here to point people to him. You know, we have a reminder of this every single night in this northern Oklahoma sky. Every night, if you look up to the heavens in our celestial galaxy, we have the brightest star in our galaxy, Sirius, who is guiding us there to be adorned and to give praise to the Lord for his Magnificent beauty. Some pagan cultures have actually worshipped this star, Sirius. But the amazing thing about this star is that though it shines brightly in the darkness, that the moment the sun rises and the light comes, you never even see it. You don't need it anymore because there's a greater light. There's a greater star that shines. And that's what John the Baptist is reminding his disciples. And that's why humbly, as your pastor, I'm reminding you. Martin Luther, the great German theologian, said it well when he said, God created the world out of nothing. And when I realize that I'm nothing, perhaps God can create something out of me too. It is the paradox of the gospel and as a Christ follower that we, though weak, can be strong because he is strong. That when we come to God with nothing, it's when he gives us everything and more that we ever needed. Living a greater legacy is seen not in how many people followed us, but how many people followed Jesus by being around us. Live for Christ. Leave a legacy. And John furthers this point. By using here one of the most interesting illustrations in the entire New Testament, he says in verse 29, you see, the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. I mean, John here, he's in competition with Jesus. He's not hoarding all of these things that Jesus had blessed him with. No, he's selflessly and overflowingly rejoices in the ministry of Christ, God's King and Messiah. He uses here a popular illustration of a wedding to bring this out in verse 29. The interesting thing is, is that Jesus did the same thing. In fact, Jesus would often use the marriage festival as an imagery to describe his ministry as the bridegroom to the bride, the church. In fact, he does this three times in Matthew's gospel. Matthew chapter nine, verse 15. Matthew chapter 22, verses one through 14. Matthew chapter 25, verses one through 13. Why? Why? Why would John the Baptist, the greatest order and teacher of the day, use this illustration? Why would Jesus, the greatest teacher, period, use this wedding festival illustration? You wanna know why? Because a wedding in ancient times was the greatest social event of one's life. We miss that in our day. I mean, we plan and prepare, and you know, if we're lucky, even in our best weddings, they last like 20 minutes, right? That is not at all what Jesus or John the Baptist have in mind here. You see, a wedding in their day consisted of three phases. Number one, a betrothal period, which was a binding legal arrangement between two families. It often would last over a year. It was a legal document, almost impossible to get out of. Number two, it would then consist of a presentation, which are you ready for this? Most weddings in Jesus' day, the festivities would last over a week. I mean, can you imagine I mean, for most of us, it's 20, 30 minutes and we're gone. I mean, an entire week of festivities, oh, my aching visa, right? Now, here's something fascinating. Weddings in Jesus' day, you ready for this? The center of the wedding was not the bride, but the bridegroom. Huh? Huh? Like, I don't know about you, I've done hundreds of weddings in 20 years of ministry. I have never seen that, not one time. In fact, I would, be, I would just be like, what is going on here if that ever happened? In fact, you know, by God's grace, Brent and I have been married 18 years in July. You know, my wedding day, I, I think they were just like, yeah, to show up at this time, basically. I mean, Brynn, she had all of these appointments, her hair and makeup and her dress and all of these things. Me, it was like, you know, could you please just show up and not mess things up? Just kind of sit over here. Okay, we'll let you know. Not that big a deal at all. That is not what John the Baptist has in mind with this illustration. You see, weddings in Jesus' day, and John the Baptist's day, had a betrothal period, had a presentation. Ah, you ready for this? And then a ceremony. And the ceremony was a combination of a final meal, exchanging of vows, and then a consummation. Now, why would John use this illustration that he's the friend of the bridegroom? Well, it's, it's similar in one way to a best man. I mean guys, you remember who your best man was? Yeah? For me it was my dad. Just best friend in life. Just just love him. And he's loved me in good times and bad times. He he knows all about me and still loves me. It's kind of a proud thing. High times, low times, he was always there. He's my best man. But really, even though my dad is highly capable, tremendous leader, very intellectual. He just had very mundane responsibilities on our wedding day. I mean, he, you know, prayed over our breakfast for all the groomsmen. He made sure that we all got to the church on time, which with that group was kind of a minor miracle in and of itself. Uh, He then handed Bryn's ring to me when we exchanged vows. That's it. And is that what John the Baptist has in mind? No. In fact, he uses this word. Are you ready for this? Shoshbin. You see, the bin, the friend of the groom, had a greater responsibility than any best man ever would. Because it would be the Shoshbin that would communicate with both the bride and the bridegroom throughout the wedding festival. It would be the Shoshbin who would assist the bridegroom in key facets of all details of the wedding. He said, but what does that look like? Well, he would help directly with the wedding feast at the end of the betrothal period. He would also guard the bridal chamber during the feast. It would be the shawspin who would stand guard while the groom would come and receive his bride. And it's this impetus that John the Baptist has in mind. It was the ultimate satisfaction in his life to know that he was the voice who joyfully prepared the bride of Christ, the church, to be together with Christ, the groom for all of life. Now, John the Baptist, being the Old Testament theologian, he would, of course, he would have known that in the Old Testament, Israel is considered the bride of Yahweh. But he also would have known in baptizing Christ, this is a new era. This is a new way of life. The king is not coming. The king is here. And therefore, in the New Testament, the bride of Christ speaks of the redeemed church. This is us he has in mind dear. Those who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ, who are united to Jesus forever. Who's the king? Who's the bridegroom? In all of history, there has never been a groom who has been more faithful to his bride than Jesus Christ. And it is this setting an illustration that leads to the most emphatic legacy statement in the entire New Testament. He must increase, he says, but I must decrease in verse 30. John uses here must strongly to express the divine necessity of something to its fullest extent. You can almost feel this verse, can you not? He places here these two pronouns, he and I, in drastic contrast. They're not identical in any way. They do not have similar roles at all. And it would be these words that are the last of John the Baptist in the entire gospel of John. I mean, what is it that you want to be remembered for? What is it in regard to lasting image that you want people to take with them about you? John the Baptist said he must increase and I must decrease. This Greek tense shows Christ continually growing, accelerating, while John decreases. As John forgets himself, he exalts Christ. He is perfectly content, wholeheartedly devoted to the will of God for his life, that Jesus would be supreme in all aspects, all attention must go to Jesus. All influence must be used to point people to Jesus. All fame must go to Jesus. We must promote ourselves, not pointing others to Jesus. Pardon me, we we must point others to Jesus, not ourselves. When people see us, they must think of him. You see, a follower of Christ must by necessity live and leave a legacy that is it's all about giving Jesus the glory. And we, by God's grace, has always been our best when we've done just that. By God's grace, have always seen his hand on us, his grace and favor in and through us. When we say we will treasure Jesus over everything, it is Jesus above all else. To him be the glory in ministry and missions. And, future. and you know what? A couple of Sundays ago, we had an incredible opportunity to celebrate just that. Where several hundred of us as God's people gathered in downtown B.A., just a couple hundred yards from where we got our start in 1904. And we had a tremendous night of celebration and commitment to the Lord. That we acknowledge that God has worked great and greatly among us. But that God is greater still things planned for us. Would you look to the screens as we celebrate that night and what God has done? What excites us most about the future is what we've seen in the past. We've seen God do marvelous things. We were there in 1999, and we know what God did, He can do again, and we're excited about the next generation. God is doing wonderful things in Greater Still for our family. Um, What we've been able to do is just talk about what the future means for each of us and how we can um, just grow together, not just by giving more of our money, but by giving more of our time. Um, We're growing spiritually together as we we learn. I think the biggest encouragement that I've experienced and I think Philip could attest to as well is that God is faithful through everything and even if you just give him a little bit, he's going to make it much more than you could ever imagine. And especially with prayer, you could pray one thing and he's like, I got something better. Here we go. How he spoke to me tonight was just have faith. Have faith. Like, trust in me and I will see you through whatever whatever comes your way. Like, God's faithfulness. Thank God's Lord. faithfulness. What a great opportunity to participate along with the rest of our church in committing ourselves to the Lord, committing our finances, our time. It is We have been so blessed to be a part of this fellowship, and we look forward to every step we take going forward. Get to once again have the privilege of reminding ourselves that there are God in heaven who loves us, who has a divine plan and purpose for each and every one of our lives. And His gospel still changes lives. And there's nothing better than seeing Jesus work in and mightily among us. Now, Pastor, you and I stood together on a stage at our church about two and a half years ago. You stood before God's people and you gave me this baton. Now, knowing what I know now, two and a half years later, with COVID and everything else, you probably should have given me a bat, you know. <laughs> Amen. But well, you have a verse here that I think is appropriate for tonight, this season. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. Therefore, the author of Hebrews says that we have been surrounded by such a cloud of witnesses. So many now have gone on to be with the Lord. So many are here tonight. And it's our privilege. That in looking to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, we have an opportunity to pass the baton as men of God and pass of God to the people of God, to the next race that God is calling us to be greater still. May God, as He's been faithful for generations, to be great in ministry, to be great in missions, to be great with our future, may we tonight dedicate ourselves to a greater still work of the Lord, ministry. to sit down and do talk about finances and where can we give and what can we, what stretches us and what puts pressure on, uh, on us financially to just say, God, you're going to need to provide this because currently in the budget, it doesn't exist, but, but this is, this is where we feel that that you've led us to give and and what you've uh, called us to, to start with. So here's what happened tonight. We wrote down a number and Angela said, is that sacrificial? We both looked at each other and said, no, it's not. We turned in the card. We don't know what sacrificial is, but we trust in the next few months, God will show us sacrificial and we'll be able to get there. So we're excited about giving even greater still. John the Baptist in John's gospel is just simply always pointing people to Jesus. Generations from now, you and I will be with the Lord. We will come, we will go. Our names will be forgotten. Our titles will be removed. But may they look back upon this time. May they say among themselves, these people, God's people, his city on this hill, when times were tumultuous, when it seemed like day by day things didn't make sense, they chose Jesus above all else. They chose with their greatest treasures to say them aside for the greatest treasure, Jesus Christ. They chose in this season that he must increase that I must decrease. They chose to forget themselves as they followed and exalted Christ. And can I tell you that there's no greater purpose in life? There's no greater devotion in life. There's no greater impact in life. There's no end to any prayer greater in your life. There's no legacy greater in your life than to live for Christ and to follow Christ and to love and treasure Him above all else. God, may you do so in and through us. May we live for Christ. May we leave a legacy as we reach B.A. and beyond by multiplying disciples to follow Jesus. May we leave an endearing, an enduring impact upon all of those who outlive us. That we were people who said Jesus above all else. If you were encouraged by today's message, be sure to subscribe to hear other messages. For more information about our church, be sure to visit us online at fbcba.org. Thank you for listening to our podcast, and always remember, you are loved.